Scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 98, verses 1 through 9. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. We're in our series, and this is the last Sunday in Advent, and the last final installment where we light the fifth candle. That's that's Christmas Eve in Advent. And our series has been joy to the world and asking the question, how is Jesus joy to the world? How is Jesus joy to the world? And this week, uh, I've entitled uh, the, the talk, um, The Joy of Judging a Baby. Uh, uh, no, one, no one likes to critically review a baby. Um, everybody loves a baby. Uh, there are no ugly babies. Have you heard that phrase? Uh, so, some of your eyebrows went up. <laughs> um, and yet, here we are. It's close to Christmas, and I want to talk about the joy of judging a baby. Uh, so so I, I want to get into it. So let me just tell you kind of the three areas I want to cover is um, Psalm 98. It's a short nine-verse psalm. And, uh, and I want to talk about the full-on super-hyped excitement of Psalm 98. So, something's going on there. And then I want to talk about of judges and babies, uh, I, want, I want how those intersect. And then um, I want to talk about courtrooms and a tool. And hopefully I can thread all of those ideas that seem pretty disparate together by the time we're done. All right. So let, let's look on the, the full-on, super-hyped excitement of Psalm 98. So I'm, I'm going to give you the highlights of Psalm 98, and then it actually ends on what many people perceive as a big downer. So... Um, uh, if you work through Psalm 98, and you can pull it up on your phone, or if you brought your uh, Bible, um, it, it, it says, like, we have reasons to sing. We have reasons to write new songs. We have reason to sing. And um, one of the first ones out of the box is this, is he has worked a way for you and me outside of ourselves. He's worked a way and a solution outside of ourselves, so we should, we should start singing. And then he says, we should start singing. This is, this is for everybody. There's, there's no weird hierarchies. There's no castes. There's no ethnic groups there. Like, this is for the globe. This is for all the nations. We should totally sing about that. Um, we should sing. And he goes on. He says, because God is faithful. Like, he's, he's, he's kept his promises. We, we, should, we should sing about that. Um, we, should, we should shout we should break out into a ditty. We should dance. We should yodel. We should sing in the shower. We should drum in traffic, like on the steering wheel. Like this is what it's saying. is like these ideas are so big, like there's something that has to be expressed about it. Uh, 
make new music. Um, I don't know, in, in today's you know, parlance, it'd be like, blast it, yo. Like, turn it up to 20. Turn, turn it up. All the way, all the way. No, 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 it's all right, it's all right, turn it up. That, that's, that's kind of the, the, this excitement vibe that you're getting from Psalm 98. Um, really get into it, okay. Now, while we're at this, Psalm 98 it does this. It gives directives that you should do this, but anything that's on our planet should do this. So, so humans should do this, but all of his creation should make some sort of expressive noise of just the greatness and the awesomeness of God's salvation. So he says this, he says, let the sea get into it. Let the sea get into it. Uh, let, the, let the whales start moaning. Let the dolphins chitter. Do your thing. Rivers, it kind of personifies rivers. Rivers, clap your hands. All the rivers, clap your hands. Right? All the rivers, clap your hands. And now the mountains come in deep. Everything get into it. Let's wave. Let's wave. Um, I I, I don't know I I was going to show this clip but it's a 9 to 14 minute clip and it would have been entertaining but then you're like but then he has to rattle on after the clip so it's not worth the clip Um, so so, so you've probably seen this Uh, Louis uh, Giglio has this clip where um, he tells he he shows this picture of um, um, a Vela Pulsar star and um, it's a thousand light years away and it oscillates on its axis 11 times a second. And, um, and so what they do is, you know, with SETI and everything, we're always, we're always tuning in. You can do this with different um, radio frequencies. You're trying to capture something. So sometimes it's light waves, sometimes it's sound waves, um, sometimes it's radio waves and, and making them into sound waves. Um, and, and, so, and so he has this thing where he shows this and he goes, now you wanna hear what that sounds like? And it go, it, it's like this, it goes Now, if we had a feedback loop thing, someone would record that, right? <laughs> Maybe you can beatbox this, <laughs> Will, for me, like, while I'm doing it. Um, and, and then he shows pictures of another star, and, and, and it's like... <laughs> All right, <laughs> just, just you remix it among yourselves. <laughs> Andrew, you're the first star. <laughs> you're, the, you're the second star. Um, and then, and then he does this, um, and, and then um, he, he has the whale moans. That's not a whale moan. I don't know what it is. It's, a, it's like a dying cow. Uh, and, and he starts to remix it on an iPad. And, uh, and then I add in the mountains. Come in, misty mountains. Far over the misty mountains cold. Right? The mountains are low and big. And then it's all mixed together. And then uh, he says, now I want you to start singing How Great Is Your God with the stars and with the whales. And let's all sing this together. 
how great is... It's a good clip. You can YouTube it. It's, it's entertaining. Uh, that's a great picture of, of Psalm 98. Psalm 98 is this cosmic, phantasmagorical, musical mayhem of every part of creation expressing something about how the greatness of God is. Why, why does Psalm 98 tell us in this over-the-top kind of way? It's because he's saying, hey, look, your God has not left you to your problems. Your God has taken your problems and assumed them and made him his problems. That's how great your God is. Uh, this is not a liberal or conservative thing. But some of you might interpret this. Um, there's a great brokenness in our world in just our relationship to the world itself. So what was the, what was the command in the Garden of Eden? I want you to take care and rule over and steward this amazing creation teeming with resources for you to play in, to eat, to enjoy, to make stuff from. And then, this is not a liberal or conservative thing, but how have we done with creation care? This is why we can't have nice things. That's how deep the brokenness is. is we have to have the EPA. If you don't have the EPA, we will ruin our rivers and they will not clap anymore. This is not a liberal or conservative thing. We, we want to make it into that, right, to follow some sort of agenda. But no, creation care is from the Bible before anybody co-opted it. There's a deep brokenness even in our relationship to the cosmos and creation. We'll use it. We'll use it for ourselves. Have we made cool stuff from it? Yes. But if left to ourselves, we will just abuse it. Um. But that's not the end. If you listen to a narrative, it will paint only dystopian, dysmorphic, Armageddon-like end for all of creation. And do you know what Psalm 98 is telling us? Is yes, you, us, we, collectively, we cannot mess it up to the point where he won't redeem it and renew it at the end of days. Now that's positive. That's incredible. Psalm 98 says, I am not going to leave you to what your end should be. I am going to bring it to a better end of what it can be, should be, originally designed to be. Um, and so, let's have a big concert. It's not going to end how it should. Let's have an expressive concert of all of creation. This is Psalm 98. And then comes the last verse really eight and nine, but it happens in verse nine. It says, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. If we're singing joy to the world, let earth receive her king and heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature, that all, all right. This is, for most people, you're like, I, wow, that's an amazing thing, the expressiveness of creation. 
But this is for most people, this is where the jukebox sort of stops and you're like, a judge? A judge? I don't know if the concert merits the judge idea. This is where the record scratches and the tuba player starts to peter out. Like, you hear judge. Um, we're celebrating a judge. So, I want to talk to you. So, in Psalm 98, let's have this massive concert because God is faithful and he saves and he's not leaving us to a brokenness and he's giving us a judge. That's what it's super excited about. So, let's talk about judges and babies. Have you heard that phrase, um, nature abhors a vacuum? So if there's not a leader, uh, oh, no, let me just, have you ever had group work in school and nobody really takes the reins? They're like, I don't know, what do you want to do? I don't know. Because, you know, no one wants to be that assert. But at some point, someone's just like, Ugh. all right, you do that, you do that, you do that. Nature abhors a vacuum. It happens in group work. If there's a dangling problem in a culture, someone's going to figure it out and someone's gonna monetize it, like nature hates a vacuum. Um, if, if, if there's a beautiful thing that is produced, if it's a piece of art, it's a movie, piece of music, if it's a project or whatever, um, nature abhors a vacuum. So if everybody is praising it, someone will step in with, uh, there's not a critical analysis and helpful feedback. Like, that doesn't exist. I, there's not a project that ever goes by that was just like, you know what? That's flawless. I find nothing wrong with it. All you need to do is read Rotten Tomatoes, right, about a movie. Even, even the highest ranking ones, you're going to read some review where, well, let me, share you, let me share with you my critical analysis of this movie, and it won't be too pretty. Um, so this is what I meant to say, is without a judge... If you don't want God to be the judge, we will find other judges. It'll be ourself, or it will be others that we allow to occupy the seat. Um, we don't need a God to be judged because nature abhors a vacuum. I've used this quote before. It's a little longish quote, but this is from Arthur Miller. He wrote The Crucible, which you probably read in high school. I don't think it's required anymore. Um, playwright uh, intersected with Marilyn Manson. Uh, not Ma Marilyn. <laughs> the other Marilyn, Marilyn Monroe. You know the background. Google it, Wikipedia. Um, but he's talking about a judge. It, this, is a, this is a money quote. For many years, I looked at life like a case at law, a series of proofs. When you're young, you prove how brave you are, or smart. Then what a good lover, then a good father. Finally, how wise or powerful or whatever. But underlying it now, I see now that there was a, pre, a presumption that I was moving on an upward path towards some elevation where, God knows what, I would be justified or even condemned, a verdict, anyway. I think that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was in sight. No judge in sight, and all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which, of course, is another way of saying despair. That's an incredible quote. 
Um, he proposes this. If you don't have a judge, it leads to hopelessness and despair. And B, lesser judges will take over and they will torment you. Lesser judges will take over, even if it's yourself. All right, so this is why Psalm 98 is terrifying without Jesus. We all know that if there is a judge, and if he is going to peer and take a peek into the particulars of your case or my case, we don't have a snowball's chance. We don't. Um, I'm not even talking about one child. I'm not even talking about all the worst things you can possibly think of about yourself. In fact, let's just do how you know, we do in class. Um, take all of your, 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 the things that, your private things, your naughty things, all the things, all the regrets that you have. Look, you're allowed to drop the bottom half. I'll discount them, 50%, all the lowest grades. Get rid of them. I'll give you a 50% discount. And you know what? Still, our charges before a real judge, that's frightening. That is frightening. Um, that's why we don't understand this crazy concert in Psalm 98 is because we're like, oh, if Tim gives me a 50% discount, I'm still sunk. Um, but what if a baby enters the picture? And what I mean by that, a baby enters the picture to be judged, number one, and then to be a judge, number two. Um, all right, we love babies. I said there's no such thing as an ugly baby. Um, uh, this is a horrifying piece of history, but it comes from Saul Friedlander. He's at UCLA, and um, he's written a, a, a monstrous set on the Holocaust. And in, one, in uh, the years of extermination, um, uh, Saul writes this. It's this impeccable research. Um, before the bureaucratic, systematic genocide of the Jews, um, it, this started in Poland, but before they had the whole system of trains and camps or whatever, is they began with microvans. And microvans, like little buses, they would round up the people they want. So it didn't even start with, with uh, Jews per se, it started with uh, Jewish people and um, mentally disabled homeless people almost. And so what they do is they round them up and they'd take a trip to the forest. And in the forest, they would dig a pit and they would shoot the people. But this is why they came up with a bureaucratic, systematic system is because ammo began, began to be too expensive. We need something cheaper and more efficient than ammo. So Saul, this is brutal. Saul writes this, is in this phase is if there were babies in the group, uh, some soldiers would fling the babies up over the pit and the other soldiers would shoot them. That's horrifying when you're talking about a baby. That's horrifying. That is not a pretty picture, but babies have our attention. Why? You're like, that is next level. Why is it next level? Because there is a vulnerability and a frailty there that we're like, hey, you come on. Come on. It's a little much. So I am going to take a hard shift from the Holocaust and Saul Friedlander, and I am going to move over to Talladega Nights. Are you with me? Okay. Someone had a hard time with the shift, but we're going to go there. 
okay? Um, we know the Knights, all the prayers by uh, Will Ferrell. Some of you probably know them by heart, right? How does it start out? Dear tiny Jesus, dear eight pound, six ounce newborn infant Jesus, right? Dear Lord baby Jesus, I want to thank you for this wonderful meal, my two beautiful sons, Walker and Texas Ranger. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, lying there in your ghost manger, just looking at the baby Einstein developmental videos, learning about shapes and colors. Some of you are like, hey, that feels a little sacrilegious. He's trying to be funny, but you know what they're alluding to? I want to pray to this baby version of God. I'm going to pray to what? the frail, cute, approachable version of God that I can handle. It's the version of God that won't judge me too harshly because why? He's a baby. When Jesus is born at Christmas, right? We celebrate the incarnation. When he is born, he is born into what I call a death sentence. What do I mean? He is most commonly called the Son of Man in the New Testament. All right, it means this. It means that the gospel writers looked at Jesus and thought that this person, this son of man, fully inserted himself and aligned with humanity to such an extent that he was some sort of representative of humanity like Adam. In fact, what do we call him? The what Adam? We call him the second Adam. That's why the gospel writers call him the son of man. He is so aligned with humanity. He is one of us and he represents us. Right? So this, this is where I'm going. When I say that he was born into a death sentence, our, our end became his end right away. Right away. So uh, in some ways, it didn't matter if he was going to die at 30 SC on a cross or at 93 in hospice. Why? As soon as he was born, he was born into a death sentence. That was his end, guaranteed. Guaranteed. So he's born, this baby is born into a death sentence. Um, okay, another movie. Uh, the Matrix, it's a little, like if you're in your teens, you're like, The Matrix? I don't know what this movie is. But do you remember this? Is um, uh, Neo is given the chance, by, or the, the choice, the red pill, the blue pill, everybody my age, you just nod your head, you're like, yeah, we know what you're talking about. Okay, um, and, and the red pill is, is knowing, you know, the knowledge of good and evil, and science, reason, critical thought, philosophy, whatever you name it. And then the blue pill is just blissful ignorance. I'm just gonna keep on going in life. I don't wanna know the things. I don't wanna know the things. Okay, so after Kian... Kian Neo uh, takes the, takes the uh, red pill. There's this dream that he has. Morpheus gives him a vision. All right, now this is what is going to happen if nothing else happens. And they show that picture, right, of the battery, the big battery, and all the humans are plugged into the machine to feed the machines because they need the energy. And then there's that picture. Oh, it's really faint, but there's a baby. Even the babies are plugged in to the battery, and they'll just grow and grow. Like their end is death. That, that's the death sentence that I'm talking about, is just as a baby, it's, that's what's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. It's a death sentence. That's the future, unless there's a second Adam. Someone who is perfectly aligned with man, but judged, and he's perfect. He's judged on behalf of, yet perfect. Now, the crucifixion, and I'm gonna do this really quickly, but it's just 
log it back there because we'll, you'll use this in the future. It's amazing that um, in the crucifixion, Jesus is judged in key areas of humanity. So um, the state or man's pinnacle of law judges Jesus. That's Pilate. Right? Our best formation of law. And Pilate even admits, I find no wrong, but you're done. The Sanhedrin, the best of religion, judges Jesus and says, we don't like you. We'd rather you dead. And then you go to public opinion and democratic appeal. Uh, we'd rather have ba- uh, Barabbas. <laughs> Thank you. Except said louder. Democ- so he's judged by democratic appeal. He's judged by the best of religion, and he's judged by the best of law, and yet he's perfect. So the crucifixion does something really important there. Um, the, gospels, the gospel writers, their point is this, is if you don't judge this baby, now, here's where it gets gruesome, if you don't fling this baby over a pit, you will get flung over the pit. I will judge the baby. That's what the gospel writers are saying. If you don't judge the baby, the judgment will land on you. Tim, where do you get this? Galatians 4. Listen to this. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, this is an aspect of Christmas that seems less fun, less warm, less snuggly, less pepperminty. Um, but, but this aspect of Christmas is that the God baby is born into a death sentence. Let's own that. He's born into a death sentence. He has flung over the pit for you. Do you have to be so graphic? I, I have to because, do you know what? Some of our senses are numb to the concert that should be happening because of this. So, judging a baby ensures that Psalm 98's concert happens. It's your first step to wholeness. It's my first step to wholeness. And it's because it's so difficult um, we're always learning this. You, uh, I grew up in a tradition where you sort of settled it at five years old. You know, dear Jesus, please do not send me to hell, and I love you very much. You can see it. Amen. How many times did you guys do that if you grew up in the church? A lot. But what, what we thought was, hey, we settle this business and then I have nothing to do with it. I have nothing to do with it. And yet, we live under different judges instead of the judge that made you right. So, I'm gonna give you a concrete um, tool that has to do with courtrooms in Psalm 98, so we burst to praise. Um, Some of the ladies here, uh, I'm, I'm gonna really just tell you Guys, I'm just really going to tell you what the, the ladies have been doing in their women's group. 
right? You weren't allowed to go, <laughs> right? But, but, but it's, I think it's a useful tool because, and I'm not gonna go into the details of the tool. I'm gonna give you the 30,000 foot, but it's something that we can use as a community in a common language so that we help our own hearts and we help the hearts of our friends, okay? So um, this is it. I want to see, I want you to see that there are, it's not just this abstract theory of theology that Jesus has flung over the pit for me. It's, that has really sweet, beautiful, daily practical applications for you. Okay, so um, uh, this is, this is uh, I get, I, Melissa had to brush me up on this, um, but there are verdicts, and I'm going to use courtroom terminology, there are verdicts that you are living under and I am living under. And some of them are true and some of them are untrue. Some of them are positive and some of them are negative. But let me give you an example. Um, I, I, can, I can have a, a verdict that comes from myself that says this, Tim, you are a creative person. That sounds positive. You're like, what's wrong with that verdict? There's nothing wrong with a positive verdict. Unless, guess what? Unless it becomes this, because you've just given yourself that verdict, you must wake up, and every waking second, you must be a creative person. Now, is that so positive? It's not. At the end, its end is damning to myself. Or you can have a negative uh, 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 verdict. Like, I can tell myself, Tim, you're a complete creative derivative, derivative creative hack, and... Um, there are way better creative people than you. So that's negative. And I can believe this verdict. I can believe that verdict. Okay. Or verdict can come from other people. Right? So other people can say, hey, Tim, you're such a nice guy. And it seems positive and it gives me a temporary steroid boost until what? Until I, I'm not nice. Or other people can say this. Um, Negatively, Tim, you're an absolute disappointment. And trust me, we have tons of feedback. And I can live under that verdict. So you are living under verdicts too. So this is what we have, is we have verdicts from ourselves and from others. Okay, now this is what I wanna do, is I wanna place those um, verdicts in courtrooms. So kind of block out the other three and look at the upper left quadrant, okay? And I'm gonna sort of explain it. So one courtroom, like that verdict that says, um, Tim, you are, um, uh, you're a disappointment. And we have feedback for people. The judge are other people. I am the defendant, and where have I placed God? He is in the gallery, I mean, folding his hands, sitting up straight, not contemptuous at all, but watching, and not a part of it. He's just watching. Okay, another courtroom is this, the courtroom of self-opinion. So this is, this is a lot of my problem. If you want to know my specific thing, I am more often in this quadrant than, than, than anywhere else. And this quadrant is this, is I judge myself before anybody else does. I incriminate myself. I look, I'm introspective before anybody. I want to beat people to the punch. It's like I'm just like whipping myself or something. Who's the defendant? Me. 
and I've placed others and God. Like, even if you compliment me, I'm like, I don't believe it. Why? I put you in the gallery. I put God in the gallery. You, you don't matter. You can watch. That's cool. But I'm the judge and I'm the defendant. Okay, um, this, this is kind of for marriages and stuff. Like, let's go to, um, it, it's like a counselor situation. It doesn't apply a lot. So let's go to God's opinion. And then you have this is God as judge who has judged himself has said, guess what? I have made you my son or daughter. I've made you right. My verdict matters more than your puny little verdict, Tim. I don't care. I don't care if you're introspective and I don't care if you think a lot and I don't care if you're down on your and you're hard on yourself and you're critical. I don't care about that. Like what I think about you is more important because when I see, when I look down at the defendant, I see Jesus. I see the baby flung over the pit. Would you stop doing that, Tim? Okay, I will. And then who's in the, who's in the gallery? Well, other people. Thank you for watching, but it, you, have no, you have no power or authority in the courtroom. You know, your church people, they're watching. Or it could even be yourself, your own self-talk. Guess what? Your self-talk, it doesn't matter. God's verdict is the only thing that matters. God's courtroom is the only place we should be living our life. That's why Psalm 98 goes nutso when God is the judge. Because others as a judge or yourself as a judge, it will ruin you. And it ruins me. Do you see the practical implications of daily life? You're like, oh, what are the questions you would ask? Um, what, what are the questions you would ask? You're like, hey, what are the ver verdicts in your life? What are you hearing? What's that chatter? And then you would compare and contrast and say, does that match God's verdict over your life? Um, or you could ask a question like this is, hey, what courtroom are you in right now? Right, it's a good heart question for your friends and for yourself. Or a third question is, what would it be like if you were in God's courtroom? How sweet would that be? See, good questions. Um, my point is this, if the baby doesn't take the judgment, then you are everywhere, you are tormented by lesser judges. You are tormented by lesser judges. All right, this is interesting, last, last little story. All right, so I didn't know this, but the, the original Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, um, 1964, uh, it, it, it's funny, is in the original showing of it, um, they didn't have anything in the plot line to follow up what happened with the island, the, the island of misfit toys. They, they didn't do anything about it because it, it wasn't about Rudolph and the, the funny nose. It wasn't about that, right? Um, so after it debuted in 1964, um, this is the comment section in 1964, is that there was just this avalanche of letters. <laughs> there was this avalanche of letters. It's like, what, about the island? what happened to the misfit toys? Okay, there was such an avalanche of letters um, that this is what they did is in the, cr in the credits of the original, you know, after the movie, it shows Santa just throwing presents down all the chimneys of the world and, you know, zooming off to the next one. So what they did is f they changed it. In 1965, they showed a completely different cut. So in the credits, instead of Santa throwing presents on, down the chimney, they did, he did this, is... Um, 
uh, they replaced it with Santa going back to the island and picking up all the misfit toys. This is incredible. People needed to see good news for the misfits. So much so that I, I'm going to write a letter. <laughs> I, I, wouldn't wait, I, wouldn't waste, I wouldn't waste a stamp on that. Why? Because we recognize that judgment is hanging over our heads. And I want to see on screen, I don't care if it's in claymation, I don't care if it's a kid's show, I want to see that he comes back for the misfits. And he does right. Right? You need a judge that doesn't leave them to their own end. You need a judge who came a, became a baby to take the judgment and not just fling presents down a chimney, but flings himself over the pit of humanity. Why? So that the judgment over life would be beautiful and it only ends in beauty. Not a death sentence. Not for misfits like me, you. That's why Psalms 98 is just over the top, over the top concert. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, um, if it is difficult um, in our familiarity with either your word or, or, or repeated words that sound like your word, to get this, we can only capture this by your spirit communicating to our hearts that if are hardened by our own selves, by our culture. Jesus, by your spirit, soften us and bring our hearts to over-the-top praise. Amen.